Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Syringa Networks, bringing you DJ and PK. Can BYU shake off last week's devastating loss? Can the Utes beat undefeated Colorado? These are the questions of the morning. Many of you hit us up on Facebook about this. Uh, Daniel says Utah's capable of beating Colorado. Will they? Sadly, I think they probably won't. BYU is posed for a huge letdown. I think they lose too. Look at Daniel. Daniel's down on the Utes and the Cougars. They're both going down. Well, we'll talk now about the Utah-Colorado game with Brian Howell. He is the beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. I think we're all curious here. You know, the uh, COVID just completely scrambled the football schedule like it scrambled everything else. And I think we all read and heard, wow, when you're a first-year coach like Carl Durrell, you don't get spring football. And how can you uh, possibly get your guys ready to compete? And now they're 4-0. How did that happen? All of the all of the logic, all the predictions out the window. Yeah, there's been uh, pretty much all the logic in most walks of life this year have gone out the window. I think, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I just think that from everybody that I've talked to, um, you know, Carl Durrell's done a really good job of of really keeping this team together and keeping his calm, and uh, you know, the guys have really responded to his maturity and and just his even keeled attitude towards this whole thing and no excuses and they've got some good veteran players on this team that you know, are tired of losing and thought that hey let's buy into this coach and uh, and see what happens here and it's worked out so this is a battle as i see it of two strengths colorado averaging a pack 12 best 245 yards running the ball and obviously it's played a significant factor, if not the most significant factor, in their 4-0 start. And then you got Utah. And Utah under Kyle Whittingham just doesn't allow that to happen in terms of running the ball. They're allowing, I think, 105 yards per game, which is tops in the Pac-12 also. So you basically have this strong running a game against this strong defense against the run. So what gives? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. CU has never had uh... – you know, success running the ball. I mean, the last time CU had a 100-yard rusher against Utah was 1957, so uh, it's been a while. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Utes are just really good against the run, as you guys know, and they always have been under Kyle. Um, you know, I think that they'll, they'll continue to have success with that this weekend. I think CU is going to get some yards, but nowhere near their average, and uh, I think it's going to be you know, a great battle, like you said, strength on strength. I think that it'll be interesting to see if CU can get much going there. Uh, but it's always been a struggle against Utah. Brian Hal joining us, Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Uh, Jarek Broussard is averaging uh, 183 yards per game. He redshirted as a freshman. He hurt his knee and didn't play in 2019 as a redshirt freshman. He's now a redshirt sophomore, and he is blown up. Did anyone see this coming? It just seems like between the injuries and the redshirt and the fact that he was a three-star recruit, the he seems to have come out of nowhere. Yeah, you know, the people within the program that, that watch practice, and, you know, we don't get to watch practice, but those that watch practice say they saw it coming. That this is what he does in practice all the time, and uh, they're not surprised. And for those of us that don't get to see it, we're surprised because um, he was kind of 
honestly, among those of us that cover the team, he was sort of off the radar in terms of that running back, uh, uh, that running back room, and, and kind of who would lead this team in rushing. And he was sort of off the radar because of the injury history. And you know, they, they had a four-star recruit come in this year that everybody was excited about. And all of a sudden, it's Jarek Broussard that's kind of blowing up. And um, you know, so we're all surprised about it. But apparently, those that, that watch say this is what he does every single day. So the quarterback's a great story, too. You know, the former safety. He doesn't really have great stats, stats speak of Nora. You just look the last couple games. I think a total of only 230 yards, one touchdown, three picks. Since Utah is very stout traditionally and has been many, many years against the run, you'd have to assume they're going to have to throw the ball to some extent, uh, being able to have some type of uh, consistency against the Utes moving the ball. What's the status of their passing game? It's been a little sluggish the last two games, and you know Sam Neuer's got to play better in this game, I think, for the Buffs to win. I mean, go back to that running game. If they're going to have any success, I think a lot of it depends on uh, you know what Neuer can do through the air. Uh, you know, they've got to find some holes, and you know Utah, you know, has uh, watching them. Uh, their secondary is opportunistic, but they can give up some big plays. And I think the Buffs have got to hit some of those. Uh, in order to open up that running game a little bit. And to me, that he's the key. And uh, you know, Neuer has to play better. He was not sharp at all last week in Arizona. Threw a couple of really bad interceptions, and there was kind of a blow-up between him and uh, Carl Durrell caught on camera. But, you know, they both said everything's fine, but he's got to play better for them to win this game. So while the Utes have been losing to Utah and Washington or leading their respective divisions, the Buffs have been beating UCLA, Stanford, San Diego State, and Arizona. Uh, should we be drawing any conclusions? First off, it's hard to do it in a COVID year because you don't know who's playing for a team every given week. But it does look like Colorado's been playing the, the bottom and middle of the conference. Do you have a, any kind of feel for how they would match up against uh, some of the better teams in the league? No, I don't think we really do. You know, I, I think you look at the preseason poll, and the top three teams in the South are supposed to be USC, ASU, and Utah, and CU hasn't played any of them yet. And you know, I, I think ASU is better than its record. I think that Utah is better than its record. And so, this might be the best team that CU's faced all year. And so, I'm looking forward to it just to see how good is this team really, uh, because I'm not sure we've we've been able to see their best and and you know see them against anybody that, that's great. So. Um, I think this is going to be a big test for them. That's why, you know, determining who's the, the champion in this conference is going to be difficult when everybody's playing four or five games. Yeah, I know that probably uh, Durrell and his staff don't really want to talk about it because you can't you can't break the code of talking about other things except the next opponent. But there is a scenario where they could win this ball game and be undefeated, but yet not be in the title game. Is there any sense of frustration there? Yeah, I think there is. Um, you, you know, Darrell, he, he, his line basically was that, hey, I'll worry about that if we get to it. But you could say, you could tell in the way he said it that, that yeah, that would be frustrating for him. And I think it would be frustrating for the team that, you know, more than anything, not necessarily that they would be uh, out of the out of the title game, but the fact that they didn't get a chance to face USC, which, you know, that would be the, the game that determines that championship. And so um, I think they would really – Love to have a crack at USC, and who knows if they would win it, but I think they would really like that shot. And uh, they haven't had a chance to get it because of COVID-19, and you know we'll see if they get it next week. I mean, stranger things have happened, and it's possible that it's CU against USC next week to get in the title game. 
and you know, we'll see what happens. So Carl Durrell coached at uh, his alma mater at UCLA, and so he had a run there, and then he went off to the NFL. Has he talked at all about how he's changed coming back to the college game more than a decade later? Yeah, he, he talked a lot about it, how he learned a lot. Um, I think a lot of coaches do. He learned a lot from that first experience um, with UCLA, and a lot of it really is giving more voice to the players and, and kind of learning more about about his players and getting to know them better. And, and I think we've seen that. I mean, he's really kind of taken on the attitude and and, uh, and sort of the, I guess, the expectation of his players this year, and he, he's really tried to cater to them. Um, in his own way, I mean, he's certainly the leader of this program, but you know, he wants to cater to them, and uh, he feels like he's learned a lot. And it's been 13 years since he was at UCLA, and so uh, you know, in that in that time, I think he's learned a lot, and uh, he, he looks to me like he's a better coach. So we saw McIntyre have the one good season, and then went right back, and then he's out the door. Uh, how much can we buy if we want to think that Colorado is back and can have some consistency? Is it actually true? Yeah, I think it's hard to tell uh, with this. But, you know, like you said, they haven't been tested like they would in a normal year. The one thing that I think is more sustainable than the 2016 year is the Buffs are better up front um, on both sides of the ball. And they had a bunch of guys in 2016 that were seniors. That's who led that team. There's a lot of guys who are not seniors on this team that are they're playing really well. So uh, there's people that are going to come back and they're better on the line than they've been in a long time. And so I think that's more sustainable than what we saw four years ago. Brian Hal joining us, Colorado Buffalo's beat writer for Buff Zone and the Boulder Daily Camera. Regardless of how uh, all of this ends, uh, going forward, do you think everything's in place for them to be good uh, consistently, or are there major things you look at and think they've got to fix this if they're really going to be good in the Pac-12? I still think they need to work on their depth overall. Uh, their secondary is is shaky at times, and really, you know, as good of a story as Neuer is, uh, they still haven't had great quarterback play, and they've got to get that figured out because Neuer's a senior. He could come back, but you know, that's a one year thing, and and who knows what he looks like. You know, he's been shaky the last two games with, with teams having film on him, so who knows what he looks like long term? They've got to get the quarterback play figured out long term more than anything, but then also some depth. Well, Brian, we appreciate a few minutes to talk to us about the Buffs. We're looking forward to the game. Thanks for joining us. You bet. You guys have a great weekend. Brian Howell, Boulder Daily Camera, Buff Zone, Colorado Buffalo's beat rider. It'll be uh, Colorado and Utah, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, the kickoff tomorrow morning. And uh, getting the quarterback thing long term. I guess if you get a freshman who can play well, you get the quarterback long term, but then you don't tend to get anybody behind him. It seems like quarterback is always in flux for most college teams. Maybe USC, because they can offer two or three kids a year, and it seems like people just flock there. But the quarterback situation always seems to be a question mark. Yeah, I don't think that's any different from for anybody for any else. Team. Yeah. I mean, every team. I mean, Daniels was the guy, except he wasn't. And now Slovis is the guy, and he'll play one more season and probably go off to the NFL, and we'll see who they have behind him. And so, yeah, just the nature of it is that you're probably only going to have a quarterback set for two years. If you get a quarterback set for three years, you're in a good situation. But I don't think that that happens much. Maybe if he's a sophomore, because I don't really expect many freshmen 
to come in and play well. And I realize there's a Trevor Lawrence out there, and every yeah. whatever pro- proclamation you have, there's going to be an exception. But even looking at Trevor Lawrence, again, three years, that's probably the most you're going to have, assuming that Lawrence comes out this season, which I, I would I would think he would, but we'll see what happens there. So, yeah, it's a constant battle, and that's where <clears throat> transfers come into effect now because, you know, you're, you're a freshman and you don't start, you're gone. <laughs> so it's just it, it, it's really the, the way it is. You just don't have very many guys. This Fink kid at SC, who's just basically done mop up duty. He played for the against the Utes last season in a game that really mattered. But other than that, it's just been you know end of the games. But I don't think that that happens much uh, in in today's world. And they take off, right? And they just bounce around. It's it's hard to keep track of uh, quarterbacks and where they've gone. and Because to me, I, I almost expect a, a quarterback to come there and then take off wherever it there is. It seems like it's the normal situation. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, can, can you sustain that? Because that's what's interesting with the Utes. Because they've done this now, you know, last year. They had Tyler Huntley for three years. And that was good. He got injured and didn't really play the full three years. But we saw it come to pass as a senior was really good. And that's great if you can get them to stay and develop like that. Uh, but you wonder, can it, can it be done? And then you dip your toe into the transfer route. And is that, is that I guess with, with rising, though, you got him early enough that he seems like he's one of your own because he literally never played for Texas. So maybe that – Maybe that's the way to go. If you're going to get the transfer rather than the grad transfer to come in, because once you remember when Oregon did that, yes, and, and what was his name, uh, Helfrich? Which, which, he went down that road. Oh, he ended yeah. up getting fired. I was going to say which quarterback they had multiple one year guys, right. but you're that's right. Helfrich as the coach had multiple one year guys. Right, and that I don't know that you can do that and and really be successful. Now, now the more I think about it, with Rising though, getting him so young in his eligibility uh, timeline, that's probably good enough. It's a shame that he got injured this year and we don't get to see him get these four or five games of experience. I think that's a blow to the program for next year. But maybe if you get these kids younger. But, yeah, every program needs a quarterback. And if you get one, you're you're very, very fortunate. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always a risk out there. I, I just stick more to your two-year rule. And the three-year guys like Huntley are the exception if you, you know, it was rising. If he had a great year, if he blew up, the way Zach Wilson is blown up this year, well, he'd be off to the NFL, right? Because of the age thing that we talk about. He's already, this is his third year of college now. Now it's quite the jacked up year between COVID and his injury. So it's not like he's getting to play a lot. 14 snaps. That's a number that'll be burned, no, into, our, burned into our mind, right? We'll never forget that. Cam Rising was a starter for 14 snaps. and He'll be a redshirt sophomore for like five years. Right? He and Britton Covey can make all... <laughs> Britton, give me all your material. I need all those jokes. What have you got? Well, hopefully that's a 12-game season next year, and if he wins the job, I don't know that he will, but if he does, he gets to play, and, and that's good. The point being, too, that you know when you go with that younger kid that first year, you should probably... S- uh, expect some level of mediocrity. I mean, the Utes went seven and six yep. that season, right? And they had him. What did they lose four in a row? And he said it was bleeping embarrassing. Yeah. 
uh, up there in uh, Oregon, and 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 that was really funny. And yeah, but it, it also gave you an well. First off, it was very funny. Let's just not let's just enjoy it for a second. But it also gave you an insight into his mindset and how much he'd won and how much he expected to win. And they won twenty games this last two years. And I realize he didn't quarterback them all because he got hurt. No, but he, he quarterbacked hurt most in, of them in November right. of uh, his yeah. junior year. There were three uh, games, three wins. He didn't five games. He didn't play, and three he didn't win. Right. Uh, probably wins all three of those and maybe wins a couple of the other ones too who knows uh if he's if he was healthy maybe the Utes would crack the Rose Bowl that year you have to actually you probably think yeah now if you want to torture yourself as a Ute fan think That's about that yeah. <laughs> because yeah because you only lost that game what was it 10, 10 to 3 10 to 3 with a pick yeah. 6 for a touchdown yeah and so you got you got to figure if Tyler was there uh either or both with yep. his legs and yeah. arm you win that game, and you're going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And if the Ute, if the Utes would have gone to the Rose Bowl, and what would that have been their uh, eighth year in the league? Wow, what a tremendous accomplishment that would have been. And then a lot of those guys would have left, so <laughs> the next year would have been totally different. Everything changes. You change one thing, everything yeah, else doesn't yeah, stay the same. Yeah, and I always believe that. You just can't just change one thing and expect everything to stay the same. I've said that a million times with referees' calls. Uh, that call, you know, with the Jazz love to they don't love to, but fans talk about Bavetta in that finals blowing a three, four and against the Jazz. Well, sure if you just add those three points or take away those three points, but you know, who's to say the game plays out exactly the same? I, I understand that. Who knows? Some of those kids may have come back and probably would have had a good team last year either way because you would have had Huntley and Zach Moss. And they would have made sure that you were competitive. We'll, we'll never know. But uh, the point being, man, you have got to get solid quarterback play. That's why that's, I, I can't really handicap this game with the Utes and, Buff, and, and Buffaloes because I'm not sure. I haven't seen – Noyers, I haven't seen like I can count on him. And Bentley, I, can I count on him? He's gotten better. But can I count on him to play very, very well? I can't right now. Well, Lincoln Kennedy made a point about the Raiders that I think applies to the Colorado Buffaloes and what Brian Howell just told us. He's a beat writer for the Boulder Daily Camera. We'll combine those two things next, get you up to speed on everything that was said in this show next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. David Locke with us. What's the biggest question about this Jazz team you're looking forward to being answered? We made the offensive paradigm shift last year, and it worked. We were the number one offensive team after getting Jordan from December 24th till the stoppage of play. Now we've added favors with the hope of bringing back the number one defensive unit we had in the past. But Derek Favors was on the floor with Jay Crowder for virtually every minute of that season. Rudy Gobert was not on the floor. How important was Jay Crowder and Ricky Rubio and those other players for that defense? That's the biggest question that I have. It's not just sticking Derek Favors back in that unit because the other players around him aren't as good defensively as the players that Derek Favors was playing with. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I owe him a trophy. I owe him a trophy. That's what I owe this organization. This is a, a, a window that we're trying to capture, and uh, my commitment and my job is to try to bring a title here. That's Paul George talking about the Clippers. He just got the massive extension. Uh, depending on how you want to count it, it's a four-year extension worth $190 million. He has this next year contracted at about $36 million, so he signed now for five years for $226 million. Blazow, PK! 
He can buy almost anything he wants, qu- except an NBA team. A quarter billion, you know. Nearly. Not quite, but nearly. Yeah, I was just enthralled with Taylor Swift singing last Christmas. So, uh, what'd you say? Huh, what? Oh, yeah. I don't care that she's a Democrat. I enjoy her music. Have you seen that ad where she opens the closet and there's nothing but like 50 cardigans in there? I think I'll wear a cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> then she turns and winks at the camera and my daughter giggles. Oh, the old winkage. Yeah, that wink. Yeah. Is that not sexy or what? <laughs> PK, did you listen to her new album last night? <laughs> I downloaded it on Spotify immediately. And I it was didn't, a surprise. So there you go. Oh, yeah. I am just jamming big time. You can't get me away from it. You're wasting our time. Thanks, PK. All right, so we had Lincoln Kennedy on earlier this morning. He says the Raiders haven't looked the same the last two weeks against the Chiefs because uh, the play calling, the people have kind of figured it out. They've taken away the elements of the run game that the Raiders do really well, and it's kind of clogging everything up, and the Raiders are sputtering. They can't adjust. And we had Brian Howlon from the Colorado Buffaloes who said, well, Neuer hasn't been great, and what's more, the last couple weeks, maybe it's because people have him on film, but they seem to be catching up to him. So you, you look at those parallels in football, right? You do something, you do it well, but inevitably a good coaching staff takes that away and says, well, what else can you do? And it's what separates good teams from really good teams. So do you trust the Utah defense to take that passing on the game away from Neuer and whatever dust-up Neuer and Durrell had, even if it's behind him, can they create it again with another poor performance by the Buffs passing game, a good performance by the Ute defense? I think as long as Utah's offense doesn't screw it up, they win the game. There it is. So define screwed up, 24 points, 30 points. Well, four or five turnovers yeah. like they had in their losses. Not just, just keep... field goals then. Because what if they're turnover free and they're kicking field goals again? That got Kyle pretty hot. <laughs> well, yeah, they also scored some touchdowns. They they, how many scored touchdowns did they score? Because they had the, the Covey well, they uh, had, punt return. They had, so that didn't, didn't they have two on offense and yeah. one on special teams? Right. Covey so caught a touchdown pass. If you give me two touchdowns and three field goals, I think they win the game. Now, three field goals, I understand. Every coach is going to whine about that <laughs> when you get down there. And you're, and you're only up 9 nothing. You know, if they came in a different manner or they weren't like back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, right. then maybe it would be that If they're spread out and, and maybe one is a two-minute drive and you just don't have enough time at the end of the yeah, first half. Yeah, or it's a 48-yarder. Yeah. You know, you got there. Uh, and you committed a penalty or something, and so it stalled the drive, and you come out of there with three points. It's funny because the complexion of the field goal, even though they're all worth the same, somehow they're not created equally. As you say, right down the end of the first half, if you use a couple timeouts, get a punt, make a connection on a couple of passes, boom, kick a field goal, you sprint into the locker room yeah, right. all fired up. You it, know feel, I mean? it feels like a win, right? Yeah, yeah. As but opposed it, to you it, have a touchdown called back, you jumped off sides, you took a sack, and that should have been a score. And it, and it did really scream out to you, gosh, Utah, can you finish a drive here? <laughs> you know, in the early part of that game last week. And you weren't playing uh, what is recognized as a really good team. They're not bad. I mean, they made improvement. Under Smith, speaking of Oregon State, but that three field goals right in a row did seem like on the heels of 
less than stellar offensive performances to begin with, you're thinking, geez, here we go again. My gosh, Oregon State's going to score. You get a couple touchdowns, boom, and you've got the lead all of a sudden, even though it looks like you've outplayed them, but you can't finish the deals. So we'll see how the complexion of those field goals go. Uh, but if they can go with combine with some touchdowns, then I think they had an excellent chance to win. Well, I guess the thing you have to say is the Utes didn't punt until uh, right, pretty deep right, in the third right. quarter uh, against Oregon State. So that was the that was the upside. I always want the locals to win because it's good for business. We've been over this a trillion times, mm-hmm. but in a way, I wouldn't mind Colorado winning just to screw up the Pac-12 with their pathetic management to where these other conferences are finagling the rules to better suit to your conference to its advantage, but the Pac-12 is just not going to do it. And so can you imagine an undefeated Oregon or Colorado and SC and then them not playing each other and both of them ranked uh, probably at least fairly high with an opportunity to make a move? Uh, Probably not enough to get in, but – Uh, When I say get in, I'm talking about the Final Four. But at the same time, when you see other conferences doing these things and you don't, you sit there and say no, it makes no sense to me why we wouldn't have the two undefeateds when I've got these other guys over here in the other division with at least one or multiple losses. Well, I think the thing that makes sense over time, you know, and, and with this, you, you got people trying to cook up, well, we had the rule, right? And before, with COVID, it's like, well, it's, it's political, and they're all left. What if it's none of those things? What if the one constant is they're just not good? Who's that? you got conference Manfred? leadership, not just the commissioner, but yes, mostly the commissioner, but also the top two, three, four people he hired. You know, if you hire an executive who thinks it's a good idea to call in and overrule the replay center who's overruling the referees, like, yeah, you're not good. You haven't thought that through. You think that's going to stay a secret? Because I don't think it is. It's going right. to get out. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's scheduling issues they've screwed up, the TV contract. The one thing, instead of looking each time for the one-off of what it is, the answer is not good at your job. We don't need a lot of explanations. There's one constant thread that runs through all of these. You're not good at your job. And that maybe sounds harsh, but... It explains everything. Otherwise, you got to have 10 different rationales for 10 different problems. But really, the answer is not good at your job. And this would be the latest example. Yeah. And it may not happen because Utah might be Colorado and UCLA right. might be USC. And honestly, they're only two and three point underdogs. I mean, UCLA and Utah are the underdogs. But a field goal is really nothing. I mean, it's no. very, they're very mild underdogs. There's nothing to say that both these teams don't win and that what you end up with is three one-loss teams and two of them in the title game and one of them out. It well, could play that out that way. Well, the conference off the hook. Yeah, it does. It does. If either of these ball clubs lose, then it's, it's a mood issue. Washington will not be playing. They're 3-1 and one in the North. The Oregon game is called off. Huskies don't have 53 scholarship players, and so uh, they will not be playing. Now, 
we've seen a lot of teams, once you have that issue for one week, you have it two weeks because players 10 to 14 days to come out of it. It can wipe out two games. But the conference has also said that they'll just take the second-place team out of there. So you could have two one-loss teams, and they could still be putting a two-loss team uh, in Oregon into the conference title game. Right. Uh, the right. other the, – oh, go ahead. No, I, I, that's a little – if the COVID is involved – and that's the explanation. It's a little more understandable. Games to watch tomorrow. North Carolina and Miami battle of ranked teams. Miami's 10, Carolina's 17. They play at 1.30 on ABC. And then it's into the USC-UCLA game at 5.30 on ABC. Uh, UCLA and USC. This is usually a weekend that it's Army-Navy is the only game on. And Army-Navy is on CBS, uh, if that's your thing, Saturday afternoon. Uh, but there's games all over the place. We've got a, oh, I guarantee a full you week. that's my thing. It's Army Navy. I feel obligated. You will I watch. Feel, I feel privileged. I'm not going to watch start to finish. It'll kick off after the Utah Colorado game, and it'll end well before the BYU game. That game's not till uh, eight o'clock. But I also got BYU Utah basketball. I got to. I got to be in tune too. Four o'clock for the Utes and the Cougars, and I would say has uh, has there ever been a harder game to predict here? The uh, the Utes. The Utes come in, what are they? They are 2-0, and right? And BYU is 5-2. and two. It's so hard to keep track now. Everybody's played such wildly different number of games. So, And I think we've seen good things out of both teams, and there are clearly flaws on both teams, and both coaches are trying to you know, coach them up. you got to improve this time of year and all that. And so who does that with all the emotion that can go in a rivalry game? Maybe a little less emotion because there's a lot of new guys and there aren't going to be any fans there. Which is such a shame, because obviously it'd be a sellout and mm-hmm. it'd be rocking, no matter and, what venue you're playing, either or. And the new guys it's get such s- a fun game. The new guys get sucked into the rivalry right away, but this will be different. That was my first introduction to BYU Utah was the basketball because I didn't go my first year. I didn't go to the football game, but I went to the first basketball game, and you know I've I've covered. I covered a lot of Pac-12 basketball and, and football and all that stuff from Pac-10 in those days. But to just feel the intensity, my, my gosh, it was just incredible. And it's a shame that it won't be able to happen, but at least they get to play the game, which is the most important thing. So that game's on BYU TV tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Normally it would be on... Uh... Some bigger outlet, but there's football all over all those networks. So college basketball has got to find its own spot. That game will be on BYU TV at 4 o'clock. Well, I got it. I got uh, BYU TV. Weber State I'll and Utah be, State were supposed to play 2 o'clock, but that game's off because the Aggies have COVID issues. So Weber State has picked up a game on the fly, and they're going to be at Boise State Sunday at 2 o'clock. So that's the college hoops this weekend. Uh, the NFL this weekend, we talked a little bit about this, some of these games with uh, Lincoln Kennedy. Chiefs with a big game with uh, Miami. Uh, Miami's chasing Buffalo in the AFC East, and Miami's sitting on a wild card right now. The Colts have a wild card right now, and the Colts are playing the Raiders. So an intriguing game there. Uh, you got a little faith in the Raiders to bounce Colts back are here? Eight and four. Yeah, and actually with Tennessee, they got a shot the at the— Colts are a good team, man. You're 8-4. You're a good team. Yeah, and they've They're got a shot— Tennessee in they've... the— uh... Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I got the Raiders— uh, Raiders remind me of the Cardinals a little bit. A little bit of fool's gold in terms of how good the team is. And yeah. They can be decent, 
but they can also be less. They can be mediocre or worse. And I think those two teams, uh, they, they seem like they're in the same category. You know, you look at the, the Cardinals beating Seattle, and obviously the Raiders beating the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and then the Raiders needing a pretty much almost not not a total hail mary, but a last second fortune to to beat a team that hasn't won a game in the Jets. And uh, the Cardinals, Cardinals got all sorts of issues. Brock Heward went on a Phoenix station down there and said that uh, Jamal, or Jamal, I knew I'd call him Jamal, Kyler Murray, uh, yeah, he likes to compete on Sundays, but what about the other days of the week? That's where he's lacking. And somebody asked him, hey, Kyler, what do you think of uh, what Brock Heward said? Who? Who's that? I don't know who that is. (laughs) So there's uh, criticism that... Murray is not putting in the time on uh, Monday through Saturday the way he, a quarterback needs to. And just a little side note there. Well, right now the Cardinals are six and six, tied with the Vikings for the last wild card berth. Uh, the Bucks are seven and five; they've got a wild card, and the Seahawks are eight and four; they got a wild card. They're they're a half game behind the Rams because the Rams are nine and four after just dominating last night. That was. That was easy against the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots just could not move on their Ram defense. And the Ram, we know the Rams have a good defense, and we know they've got a good defensive line. And Cam Newton doesn't throw the ball very well at this point in his career. So that got out of hand. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Patriots do, uh, how they retool. You know, they had, this was somewhat predictable mm-hmm. with the number of opt outs they had and, and all the situations that are involved there. And if we get back to normalcy next year, you know what are they going to be able to what are they going to be able to do as far as retooling and I'm, um, that's something that uh, it, to me it's intriguing to watch because you've got to allow them to slip. It's like when Jerry Sloan had his thing when the statues left. You've got to allow. They've been so good for so long. You've got to allow them to rebuild. Eventually, the Jazz did. Well, I think the Patriots have used this year to get into a. They've had the opt-outs. The guys leave for free agency. They have the chance to get to a yeah. better spot in the salary cap. Uh, you know, I think they had some dead money and they had to deal with that. But next year they'll be through a lot of that and in a better spot. And they've fallen. Right. They're six and seven, right. but they haven't been hideous. And and Cam Newton is clearly limited physically. You know, but you know, finding that next quarterback is is usually not easy. And so, can they pull that off? That that is the question. All right, DJ and PK, that's a lot of the ground we have covered. We talked with David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, and the Jazz are playing Saturday night, 7 o'clock. That'll be on TV. So the Jazz game will tip off at 7. The Aggies and Colorado State Rams football game kicks off at 7.30, and the BYU football game with San Diego State kicks off at 8. So you got plenty to do Saturday night. You'll be, you'll be burning up the remote, or you'll have multiple screens going. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, your feedback, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Larry, what is good for absolutely nothing? Said again. His conference is a big wreck. Got one friend that's a paycheck. It's time to end the Larry's Got Show. Just make a call. Steal Tom Homo. Larry, what is he good for? All right, this is becoming a daily feature, PK. Who is it, Yak? K. Hey. K. Yep. Can you keep it up? Because that was another win right that there. That one was good. Four. What is it good for? It made the transition. Tom. I, I like it. <laughs> I think that was his best one. He's outdoing himself. No pressure That's to continue. That's the Hotel California of his songs at the end of the day. 
So we've got feedback flowing in here, not just on the app. And you can grab the phone, grab your phone, use our app, send us an open mic, send us your 15-second audio, and Yakel air it. You can also tweet at us, You State Iceman, talking about Blake Anderson, the Aggies' new coach, says, I think if he can beat BYU and Boise State 60% of the time, he'll be a great hire. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you have to assume if he can do that, then he's winning some other games along the way too. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, BYU and Boise State have split the last – excuse me, BYU and Utah State have split the last six games three and three. Utah State has beaten Boise State once in the eight years they've been in the league. They're one and seven against them. So 60% would be an upgrade in the BYU rivalry and a massive upgrade in the Boise State series. That would be huge. Other people tweeting at us here. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, we got people who are happy. <laughs> happy the Broncos aren't on TV this weekend. Raiders are always better than the Broncos, even if they lose. The real win is we don't get stuck with Tony Romo. He's on the Chiefs game. And then he's got uh, Rain Wilson from the office with the eyes closed and the arms going up in victory, which is a pretty goofy look. So... Happy to get the Raider game, I guess. I've never let a commentator uh, hinder or anything regarding the ability or desire to watch a game. Raiders fan here. I hope they win the T.O. battle. They're 0-17 under Gruden the second time around when they're on the losing side of that battle. So uh, the turnover stats, Kyle always cites. Now we've we've got listeners citing them too and tracking them. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Just so important in football, there's no doubt about that, yeah. Uh, and then we got Greg tweeting at us, at P.K. Kenahan, it looks like you have a fan, at David D.J. James, question mark. Got a car here with a license plate that says, I love P.K. It seems that that comes around every four or five months. Somebody sees that car <laughs> and sends me that picture. I've had that picture probably sent to me, I'd say, ten times. Somebody has a license plate that says, I love PK, and I've seen that repeatedly sent to me, and it's a red car. Mm-hmm, it is. So you know any backstory or anything? I don't think it has anything to do with me. I'm a nobody. Never forget that, buddy. And I don't, no one's going to get a license plate to honor and recognize me. Is it a soccer fan who loves penalty kicks? What is it? Or it's somebody else who happens to have the initials PK. Gerard PK, the famed Spanish defender. Uh, PK Supon. I mean, I, I know you guys are all caught up in your soccer there. And PK Supon, yeah. Everything is soccer to you. Nashville YouTube. Predators. That's why I have to carry you along across the finish line. But, uh, yeah, there's a, just it's, it's completely and totally coincidental. No one is paying homage to me. I guarantee that. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. We will see you Sunday night on Talking Sports. You enjoy all the games this weekend. Scotty and Hans are coming up next.